It's the Total Football New Zealand podcast. I'm Connor Clements, joined today by my regular co-host Mike Anderson and a friend of the show. He's been on the show quite a few times actually. Um, Phil Rollo, how you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm doing good. How are you, man? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Um, well, it's it's nice to have a chat to you again after a long while. Uh, I know we've done a few videos together in the past, but uh, it's good to get you on the pod with uh, with Mike and myself uh, rather than Armin and myself or or uh, your former colleague Liam Hislop and uh, and myself. <laughs> yeah, it's been um, a, it's been a while actually. Yeah, it has been a while. We we do need to get Liam on at some point again. I know because he is also a friend of the show and he's uh, he's done quite a few pods with us in the past too. But obviously now working for Capital Football, while well, you're still a reporter at Stuff, mate. Yeah, um, yeah. It was sad to see Liam go actually, um, but yeah, I guess it kind of has resulted in me covering a little bit more football, which is um, which has been nice. It's been a bit of a strange season with Wellington Phoenix, and obviously haven't been able to to go to too many games lately. Been in the the office late at night watching games and even participating in press conferences via Zoom. So it's yeah, a bit of a strange world at the moment. Yeah, that must have been weird, mate. How, what's it been like in terms of like, I mean, asking iffy questions over Zoom? Has it been kind of strange? Well, to be honest, like usually we don't get to participate in the away game um, press conferences. You kind of just get sent some, some audio and it's usually what the Australian journos ask. And usually they're not really that interested in the Phoenix. So it has been quite good from that perspective, um, but it is really weird. Like the coach is actually even sitting in a complete different room to the journalists who are at the stadium, and I've got um, Zoom open as well. And there's a media manager from the FFA who basically says, "You know, Phil, do you have a question?" And you say, <laughs> "Your one question," and they kind of go through, and you usually only get a couple of questions. So um, that's the hard thing. If there's like a real key moment in the game. You know, you use your two questions just kind of asking about that and you don't really get too much else. So um, it has been nice to participate and it has been really strange. But at the same time, at a press conference at a game in, in Wellington, you know, you might get a, a dozen questions and you'll be able to write, you know, a few stories out of it. So it kind of limits the amount you can really can really say after a game. Are they doing the same thing with leagues around the world or is that an A-league specific measure that they're going to keep people safe? I'm not too sure. I think um, this might be unique because the A-League is in um, like just uh, like a hub in one place. And there's probably not too many other leagues where you've got journalists from a whole other country that are trying to um, to kind of phone in via Zoom and, and access a press conference. So, um, yeah, I'm not actually sure like how other leagues are doing it, but it's actually been a really good initiative um, because it kind of means that, yeah, the, the Wellington journalists can – you know, we get the the first question and can kind of still write our stories and things like that. Because if we were just relying on audio centre, and generally they don't really ask that many good questions, and it's hard to really actually write a story if they they don't really know the team. Yeah, yeah. Well, and what's it been like covering the Phoenix uh, now that there's no games at Sky Stadium? Has it been kind of weird, you know, just watching it on TV, or is it same same, just treat it like an away match kind of thing? Yeah, it was definitely not as fun when you're just watching a game on on TV. And yeah, there's been some really late nights. Like basically, I'll go into the office um, to start um, like an eight hour shift at six pm or something oh, like geez, that. And yeah. Um, yeah, and you're just sitting there watching it on, on TV. And even the other night, I had another reporter in there who was watching the Warriors. And so, um, you know, for the first ten minutes, I was even watching the game on my phone, which is um, about as low as <laughs> it can get, I think. Um, but, um, yeah, so it's definitely not as fun um, 
Yeah, and, and usually like during the week you would go down and talk to the players down at training and you'd get to watch that when now, you know, you, if you're lucky they'll put a player up on the phone. Otherwise you kind of, they just do like a couple of players before a game on a Zoom call and it's fairly, you know, boring stuff. You don't really kind of learn too much um, out of those kind of media sessions. So, um, yeah, it hasn't really been as enjoyable when you're kind of just covering it remotely, that's for sure. But if anything, like during this COVID time like I've probably enjoyed going back and watching some club football again and um, you know although we might not be reporting on it yeah like I think I've enjoyed just going to watch those um, I think the first game I watched was in pre-season um, Western Suburbs versus Lower Hutt and there was you know quite a few people down there and um, yeah and I just remember I was like well we've been missing this for months it's, it's nice to go watch some, some football live in the flesh again. Yeah what what games have you been catching up with in the, in the local scene mate? Well, I've moved out to Petone recently, and so um, they've kind of been the team. I've gone, and they're just because I'm down the road, it's been quite good to go watch some Central League and watch them, and they've come up. And I've been well, actually quite impressed with, with their team that they've got. But, um, yeah, I've kind of actually probably mixed it up. Like, um, I know quite a few guys on the North Wellington team from from Nelson. They're pretty much just like Tasmanian United in disguise, really. Um, so it's quite good to go watch some of those guys because I, I went to school or, or covered, um, you know, football well, you know, covered their careers when they were in Nelson and then, um, yeah, go watch Olympic or um, Miramar and and, um, and Western Suburbs is always good because, you know, there's so many good young players coming through in that team. Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned Tasman and North's, um, all those players being from Tasman United. Tasman United no more, mate. How does it feel as the, as the Nelson boy growing up with that team? How does it feel? Yeah, rest in peace, Tasman. Um, I, it's uh, so gutting, eh? I remember... Um, you know, when I was in Nelson as a reporter, like I, I was so like keen on football and wanted to report on it. And we probably, you know, drove a lot of the, um, you know, the, the pitch to kind of get Tasman into the league. Like I remember, um, you know, just one day, you know, when we sitting down and going through the stories we were going to do during that week and, um, asking the New Zealand football, um, CEO at the time, you know, like, is there any interest in getting Tasman in the league? And, and the mayor of Nelson at the time, Aldo Michio, um, he kind of read the story or, like, I think was interviewed in it and was real keen to kind of push it. And then oh, wow. they got a, a, a National Youth League team and they, they won the National Youth League and Nelson College won the secondary school nationals. And there was kind of this real momentum behind the team. And so, um, yeah, it was awesome being able to to have that kind of level, especially as like a young reporter coming through because, um, you know, like I, I couldn't cover professional f- football in, in Nelson. It was like the, the next big thing. And so, um, yeah, I really enjoyed having, I'm sure it really helped by like, my career as well. Um, and yeah, to see it go is such a shame eh? because um, they were only in there for, for four years and they, um, you know, they, they were competitive. And um, I think like the big issue they had is, for whatever reason, um, you know, there was always a new coach and they just didn't get the support from the local players or didn't support the local players. And the, the squad at the start of the year was always full of out-of-town guys who, mm. you know, I don't know what, what they were kind of paying, but, like, they were definitely, like, you know, helping them, like, you know, putting them up in, in, in um, you know, housing and, and trying to get them jobs and that kind of thing where – they really like by season four needed to have like the majority of local players and and towards the end of last season they 
they had lost so many of their out-of-town guys and played a really young team full of Nelson players, and they beat Auckland City at home. And um, I would have to say, you know, that was the best result they ever had in their their whole um, four years of, of Tasman United. And I wish that had just been the model from the beginning, you know, like back the local players. Like We saw Callan Elliott get a professional contract with the Phoenix after just a couple of years of Tasman United. Mm. And I think, you know, if they had kind of done that earlier um, and not blown money getting guys in from out of town, and um, you know, I think they would have got a lot more local support and it would have just been cheaper to, to run. And I think they'll kind of look back and, and probably wish they had done that. So with the um, with the current setup with the new national league that's going ahead this year, Hasman's dropped out just for this year, or have they completely dropped out of the national league setup altogether? Yeah, so basically what New Zealand football has announced is um, this year Tasman United and Southern United um, won't be participating, and that's because they can't afford to, and they've kind of tried to spin that the Canterbury United team is going to take them, you know, and be this kind of South Island United, but. I mean, it's still going to be Canterbury United, predominantly based in Christchurch. It's not really the full merger that they're kind of um, suggesting by by any means. Um, and so what I've kind of said is if the, if the National League stays in the same format, then Tasman and Southern are welcome to try to come back the, the season afterwards. But I really can't see it happening like I've seen a few comments from people in Nelson saying you know like we've still got a chance like let's do everything we can um but Tasman United was kind of run by Nelson based football and Nelson based football doesn't even have a general manager um you know all the key staff are kind of gone and they're actually run by mainland football now and um it was always going to be a big ask for for mainland football to run two teams um and you know they are in big discussions now about how the National League is going to look in the future. So if the, the premise is they can come back, if the format's the same, well, at the moment the format is probably likely to change next next season anyway. So, um, yeah, so who knows? I mean, it's probably the end of, of Tasman. I think their best chance is probably going to be if it goes to a club competition over winter and, and Nelson Suburbs, who have been you know traditionally fairly competitive in the mainland league and in the Chatham Cup when they have entered, you know, maybe if they're ambitious enough and, and want to kind of get into a club competition, that will be Nelson's way back in, I think. So with Southern also emerging, do you know much about um, whether they're making plans to come back? Because that would be a fairly major loss to our National League setup. Because I know that we've had many years of Southern being kind of, you know, the basement dwellers. But it really seems like last season and a little bit the season beforehand, they were starting to pull results. And there was, it seemed a really good vibe behind that team and that yeah, so they're kind of the same. Um, you know, the big loss for them is they had Paul O'Reilly, who um, you know was the Irish coach that came over and brought some Irish players and brought you know a real level of professionalism to that team. And and you know they they were like you know competitive again, but you know he left at the end of last season. Um, and I you know for for the last few years the writing's kind of been on the wall with Southern. Like you know we were kind of calling them last, you know, at the start of last season, thinking that they were going to be out. And I was hearing, you know, from, from people within the organisation then that they thought they might have even been out for, for last season, just simply couldn't afford to do it. But they, they stuck through, you know, ploughed away again. You know, the, the results kind of dropped off a bit when Paul left. But, um, yeah, it seems like they're going to be gone too. And so at least one South Island team in the competition next year. And I know that is potentially reflective of New Zealand football, like, um, 
a lot of the better clubs are in Wellington and in Auckland and the better young players. But to have only one National League team in the whole South Island, um, yeah, it, I'm sure there's going to be players that are going to miss out. Because if you're in Nelson, like it's a long way to go. You, you know, you can't really commute a five-hour drive um, between Nelson and Christchurch. So you kind of have to just relocate anyway. Um yeah, so it's, it's going to be a big loss, and it's going to be heaps of players in Nelson and, and Dunedin, and you know that will that won't be playing in the National League this summer. Yeah, and I mean, I guess you'd have to start to consider about just having a North Island League because as much as it would be a massive loss losing Canterbury, I mean, is there a, is there a footballing development argument to say if you had a stronger amateur league around the South Island where more players are getting more competitive games, but not maybe at that level, but still like a stronger kind of South Island league, then potentially that's better. Yes. Having, yeah. Sorry, Gordon. Having, having just the one team, it's just a little bit random. And you're going to get some players who, if they're going in for that Canterbury team, are they going to actually get the same opportunities anywhere else? Are they going to feel like they're going to have to relocate? But if you just take off the South Island option, then those players that really think they can make it will be forced into relocation? Yeah, well, I think the way it kind of works now is there... Like, I know just from Nelson, there's a lot of young players go to Wellington quite early. Like, there's a couple of players at the Phoenix Academy um, who would be under 18. And, you know, Callan Elliott was one as well. He followed Paul Eiffel um, and, and joined his academy in Wairapa after being in the Nelson branch of that um and that was when they didn't have a national league team so he and he said this to me just the other day like i asked him about it you know with tasman being you know out of the competition like what that kind of meant for him and he said you know he really felt for those the young guys in nelson because he had to get out to to kind of get that taste of higher football which was being in the central league um and so like i guess in terms of how the competition could look in the future um i still don't think like the south island league's just like strong enough um you know, look, you look at the mainland league and it's the same teams are winning every year. Like Kashmir Tech just absolutely dominate that composition. Um, and when they go to um, kind of done like a, a South Island competition at the end of the mainland and Southern league, um, and it's still just the top teams from, from mainland that, that do well, Nelson Suburbs, um, Kashmir Tech. Um, and so I guess one argument could be that they may look to do a club-based competition in winter where it's just as it is now. You know, you have the Northern League, you have the Central League, you have a South Island League or the Mainland League. But then at the end of that, it's like the Champions League where the top few teams kind of qualify for like then like a national competition. Um, yeah, like that could be one way of doing it because um, it's pretty clear that yeah, the best players are still in Auckland and, and Wellington at the moment. Yeah, well... I think you look at it and you go, do we need some sort of competition with promotion relegation as the as the solution and do we have enough teams to cover it? Because at the moment I think we've got a great cup competition, uh, which is the Chatham Cup obviously in winter, uh, and that really covers that. I think that scratches that itch for you know knockout, um, you know one-off games, that sort of thing. And I just think we need to do away with this whole um, grand final system that also the A-League does where they, they kind of have these home and away leagues and we do all that sort of stuff. I think they need to get rid of that and maybe we do put in some sort of, yeah, Champions League, as you say, like a New Zealand Champions League kind of thing. Um, and then think about it in terms of promotion relegation, but always in the back of your mind has to be the O-League and, and qualification for that. 
Yeah, because I, I kind of, I, and I think this is the way that New Zealand football is, is moving, is to have just one season. Because like this was a big problem I noticed with guys in Tasman United who were playing for Nelson Suburbs, is if you play football in winter and you play football in the National League, you basically never get a break. The whole, like, the two competitions overlap every single year. Mm. Um, and so if you're a serious footballer and you play, five, like, five, the last five years, you might have had just no break, two, like, ten seasons back-to-back. And then players decide, actually, you know what, I'm not going to play this summer. I'm going to pull out of the National League. Where yeah. if you have one competition, one season, one training environment, you know, then these clubs can kind of bring players through. You know, they can develop guys from their age groups, bring them into senior football, um, and they get a break and they can, um, you know, have some time off to rest and recover and look forward to the next season. And I guess if you had like a club competition, you know, maybe it would then bring a bit more prestige back to the Chatham Cup. Um, but yeah, it would be interesting to see how that kind of works because with the National League, you know, there is still. You know, people have a lot of, um, the, you know, they're still following for the likes of Auckland City. You know, there's like a really strong brand because of what they've done in the Club World Cup. And so if it goes to a club competition, you're kind of losing that and going back to Central United um, and, you know, Team Wellington, it would just be split up between Miramar and then, you know, which team then kind of go into like yeah. a national competition mm. or whatever. And, you know, it's it kind of, it is a bit confusing, but I think, um, yeah, to have one season, like one playing environment, um, yeah, well, I think that would be better because I think that's a big problem they have in, even in rugby at the moment. It's like you've got the Mighty Ten Cup and Super Rugby. Like, you know, you look at most professional sports team uh, competitions around the world. Like if you're a basketball fan in the NBA, like there's just one team you support, and the NRL there's one team you support. Um, I think kind of people get get behind them a bit more and um, become more passionate about that club, and then um, yeah, and they can do more to develop players. Where I think at the moment with this chopping and changing every season from winter to summer, um, you know, moving towns. You might live in Christchurch, but, you know, play your summer football in Auckland. Um, yeah, it's just a bit messy, I think, at the moment. And I think that could be improved a lot. Well, New Zealand football, I think, if you're listening, I think we've solved all of your problems. I think you, yeah. have, a, you have a winter season, then you have a club-style Champions League format, which is played at the same time as that winter season, like specified game weeks, where all the other clubs have the weekend off and then they can go and actually watch these Champions League games uh, around the country. And that finish the end of the season is finished with, you know, the semi-final and the final. And then the summer is just off. Albeit, I, there are a lot of footballers that actually do prefer to play over the summer. You know, the pitches are in nicer condition. Um, you know, the weather is nicer and all that, that kind of stuff. So that does come into play as well. Yeah, because how do you guys, like... I how do you find it, like, in terms of supporting, if you were to go watch a game, um, do you prefer to go watch, like, a, a winter game, you know, when the weather's probably not going to be as nice, or do you go down to David Farrington Park in the summer and, you know, the sun's shining and, um, you know, do you, do you find, like, the, the season kind of dictates which you are likely to go watch more? Well, the interesting part of this, right, is that with the A-League potential move, with the A-League going to a winter season, I think... What hasn't been taken into account is that how many teams play are you really going to go after spending the day at like a 2.30 game in the rain, you know, you're cold, you're wet, you have to go in at home and shower first, are you really going to go along and watch the Phoenix straight away afterwards? 
Yeah, well, the only thing like to potentially counter that is, I guess that happens in rugby at the moment, right? Like the Hurricanes would predominantly play on a Saturday night, um, and that's when club rugby is played. Um, and so, you know, maybe for people, it's kind of like it's a whole day of football. You know, you might go watch your, your child play in the morning. You might play your game in the afternoon, and then at night you can go down to the stadium and, and watch the game. Absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah, that's what I that's what I really like about it. I think that would be like you make a day of it. You know, it's a it's a day. It's a it's a whole day of football where you just kind of time everything. So you go watch a child in the morning. You play your game, and then you go and watch the um, the upper echelon of talent play. Because you could get your whole te- like you know sometimes your game finishes and you you know the team might go for a beer or whatever. Mm. Like it would be quite cool to be like, okay, guys, should we go to the Phoenix tonight? And um, you know maybe you might even get more people who go along in that way. Um, yeah, I'm still I'm, I'm curious to see how that kind of winter move with the A League actually works because I guess in Wellington yeah the weather is going to be terrible, but um, I guess if they they have a team that's playing well and winning. Um, yeah, and you're, you're hyped on football after playing your game. I think, you know, they might still get really good crowds anyway. And um, there is some debate around like, media coverage, how that's going to work, particularly in Australia, because they're going to be going up against the NRL and AFL. But um, we kind of have that in here anyway. You know, Super Rugby is currently on during so much of the A-League season, um, and there's always something that it's competing with. So, um, to be yeah. fair, not at, like, if it's not at least a lot of the time they're not played at the same time as a Super Rugby game. So, like, especially a New Zealand Super Rugby game, or, like, a, a, a Hurricanes game, There's, it's quite rare that the Phoenix and the Hurricanes are on um, at the same time. Yeah, but they actually had that the other night where they were both on at the same time. Um, and... Yeah, there's been a there's been a few clashes. Like there was a warrior. Yeah, the warriors was was on at the same time. Um, but I think there's kind of there is still like a hardcore football fan base that will, will watch the A League over a Super Rugby game. Um, yeah, and I think the A League just needs to just become a better product. To, you know, the the thing that people will get people along to the stadium is the atmosphere. You know, there's no atmosphere at a rugby game, but there is at a Phoenix game and. Um, I think you're more likely to go watch a Phoenix game live because you kind of get more bang for your buck. With the rugby game, you can easily watch it on TV because um, it's probably very similar to just watching it at the stadium. So we've come all around um, in terms of we've talked about Tasman, we've talked about your, you know, Wellington Phoenix, we've talked about you as a journalist. How did you come to go from Nelson to Wellington, how did that journalism journey kind of start for you? You mentioned that you were you were around in journalism around about the time when um, you know Tasman were formed, and you were in Nelson, at, and and maybe that helped you get that move to Wellington. What made you move to Wellington? How did that all come about? Yeah, well, basically, like I've I've kind of been a journalist like my whole working life. Like um, I went to Nayland College, and journalism, funnily enough, was actually a subject you could take. Um, and they had a, a school newspaper that came out every term. Um, and so I wasn't really that into football back then, but I had a few friends that were playing um, for Nelson Suburbs in the Mainland League. Um, Nalen College was quite a big football school, uh, and so there was a lot of New Zealand kind of age group internationals, um, guys like Koei Taripa, well, like Jeremy Brocky went to Nalen College. And so there was always kind of these stories you could kind of do even at school. You know, we would interview a player and you'd just do like one or two stories per term and then you'd see in this little paper that got delivered to the community um 
And I remember um, I basically did like a story on a, a footballer, Adam Smith, who um, he was playing for Canterbury United. Um, and he was like a, a, I think he might have even been the captain of the Nayland College first 11. And I just sent it into the Nelson Mail and said, look, I've done the story for my school paper. Would you guys be keen to, to run it? And um, and they replied saying, yeah, like, would love to. We'll buy it off you. And um, I was like, oh, this is a cool way to kind of make a little bit of money. Um, and so at that point, I kind of knew that was the job I wanted to do. And so I was kind of just then – I knew a few more players that were in the team, so I kind of do a little profile on them and send it to the Nelson Mail and they'd, they'd run it and give me a little bit of money. Um, and then I had um, – a a local community paper was just starting up called the Nelson Weekly. And, and um, I kind of knew, especially my neighbor growing up, it was her husband was the editor. And um, he was like, you know, we're looking for a junior reporter to, to help, um, you know, start the, con- uh, to start the newspaper and kind of just learn the ropes and stuff like that. And I did that for, it was about four years and then moved across to the Nelson mail where I was mm-hmm. then, just doing sport because at the Nelson Weekly, I was kind of doing all sorts of things and taking photos and um, and then yeah, I kind of did three years there and and with the Nelson Mail, it's owned by Stuff um, and so we were kind of starting to operate more as like a national sports team kind of towards the end of my time at the Nelson Mail um, and my girlfriend had moved up to Wellington and we'd been doing long distance for about a year. Um, and she said, like, you know, at some point you probably need to move up here to Wellington. And, and I kind of – I always wanted to as well, and it was probably just the motivation I need to to actually kind of ask. Um, and so, like, I spoke to my bosses about, you know, like, I'd love to be, be in Wellington. I want to cover some more national football, and how do I kind of do it? And, you know, they said, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll transfer you. Um, and, you know, can you come on up um, in a couple of months? And um, – I guess growing up in Nelson my whole life, I was like all of a sudden not like a bit anxious about it, but I, you know, I accepted and, um, yeah, it was awesome. Um, like just straight away, you kind of, you know, I was working with Liam Hislop to, to cover the Phoenix and, um, you know, got to cover, um, with a couple of other reporters, the, uh, game versus Peru at the, uh, Westpac or Sky Stadium now. Um, and it kind of just progressed like to doing more and more national level football and, you know, um, yeah, Liam, last season, he kind of moved across to do the Hurricanes round when we had one of our rugby reporters leave. And, um, yeah, I guess that opened the door for me to, to cover football in the Phoenix full-time. Well, I guess that leads on to two questions then. I'm going to go your favourite article you've ever written um, so far, and then I'm going to ask you what you're most excited to write about coming up. Well, I think, like, the stories I always like to do more is, like, around the players. Um, and there are a couple that stood out. Um, so even when I was in Nelson, um, so Kip Colby, who um, became an all-white and actually retired quite young, he grew up in the Marlborough Sounds and um, his father um, re- restored Porsches for a, for a job, like, oh, wow. um, and... I remember um, he'd just been drafted by San Jose Earthquakes in, in Major League Soccer, and he was coming back um, in his off-season to, to be at home. And I just I messaged him, and um, we'd done a few interviews and stuff, and I said, like, I'd love to come out like, to your family home and um, you know talk to you about your, your first season as a professional. And um, 
yeah, it was awesome. I like I got to drive to the Marlborough Sounds for the day. It was you know the sun was shining. You're driving along the water and um, I, I kind of pull into Linkwater, which is this very tiny town and kind of the doorstep of the Marlborough Sounds just past Havelock and there's this big San Jose earthquakes flag flying <laughs> at, um, in the house. And I, and I was like, oh, this is obviously, um, this is obviously it. And, um, yeah, like, so I kind of spent the day talking to him and his family about his first season. And he had these, uh, his family had kind of made these big shrines with his football jerseys. There was one with his San Jose jersey with all these photos of him playing and, and all whites, one with all, um, you know, photos of him playing for New Zealand. And I thought, like, that was really cool just going and seeing this family that were like really proud of this kid who had come from a really tiny, it was like, it's such a like remote part of the country. Um, and went to like a, a rural school, um, and like made it as a professional football player. Um, and so that was one that was kind of stood out to me just cause like, it was such a cool day going to talk to him. And, um, yeah, Kip was such a, a nice guy as well. I was actually kind of gutted that he retired so young because, mm. um, yeah, it was cool kind of having that connection with him um, as someone who was kind of from the top of the South. Um, yeah, and so I think I always enjoyed those stories about players. Um, there was another one that kind of jumped out, um, which was like a Tasman – it was like a Nelson Suburbs stalwart, um, Ryan Stewart, who, um, yeah, unfortunately had cancer but overcame that to come back and play for Nelson Suburbs and Tasman United and um, – you know, he's like a real big football personality in Nelson and um, I kind of did like a, a big feature on, on him and his battle with cancer and kind of overcoming that. And, yeah, that was one that kind of stood out as well as, um, yeah, it was just like a really special story and one that I was, you know, really careful to make sure, you know, you kind of got it right to, you know, so it's kind of tells the story about what he's been through, but, you know, so they're also kind of happy with it as well. And um, I guess even now, like, you always get a bit of a buzz when you get a, kind of a good news scoop as well. I think the best one was probably when Andrew Durante left um, Wellington Phoenix after mm. a decade to join Western United. I kind of got a tip off that he was going and, um, yeah, we just kind of, um, you know, trust, like check, double check one with my sources and um, kind of got confirmation and, and published a story. And I believe, like, I, I don't even know if he had, he definitely like some people at the club knew, but I'm sure there were people who didn't. And um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty tricky one because he'd been at the club for so long and I'm sure he wants to kind of go out on his terms and stuff. And so we kind of put the story out that, you know, the captain's leaving to follow the coach to Western United. And <laughs> um, yeah, it was like such a big story. And a lot of those ones are always really cool as well because um, you kind of, you get pretty competitive with wanting to beat the competition as well um, mm. to kind of get those stories out. Cause then all of a sudden, you know, they kind of, Stuffers are reporting, but um, you know Andrew Durante is leaving. So um, yeah, so I guess the the two kind of stories I like the most really are like those kind of personable player ones, and then um, yeah, also when you get like a good um, a good news break, you're always kind of a bit stoked about that as well. Yeah, and so just before we go on to, I'm sure Mike has got a couple more. Just what story are you most looking forward to writing next or um, writing about next? Well, I mean, it would be wouldn't it be great to write about um, the Phoenix winning the A League? But um, <laughs> the only thing is, um, even if they make the grand final, like you know, watching it off the TV and knowing that no one's really going to be there to see it, um, yeah, it's going to be really strange. So um, 
Yeah, I don't even know if that would actually make the cut, to be honest, because um, it probably won't be as enjoyable as it really should be. Maybe if they win next year and um, they can do it in front of the, the crowd at, at Sky Stadium, that would that would probably be a cool one to write. Cool. And so switching it to um, the switching to the match reports. Yeah. Uh, what is the most annoying match you've ever been at? So a little bit of context behind this question is oh, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of um, for people that don't know, um, a lot of journals will have to write as they go through the match because they have a deadline to submit um, just afterwards. So has there been any match where it's like been a massive change in the last couple of months where you effectively had to bin uh, what you've done beforehand? Well, there was one even just the other night when the Phoenix played played Sydney. And although, like, I wasn't at the game, I had actually just been away for two weeks, and it was my first day back. And it, I hadn't written a match report in months because of COVID. Like, we just haven't had any football to write about. Um, so I was coming in, like, really fresh. And, you know, there was all those controversial VAR. Well, they should have been VAR decisions, but VAR wasn't there. Um, and the Phoenix went yeah. from yeah. nearly scoring the, the, the winner, which should have, you know, been the winner, to all of a sudden... Trent Bahaja goes down the other end and scores two goals. And I have to put a match report out like on full time. You're hitting publish to put a story out there. And they scored two super late goals that completely swung the game. Um, and luckily with that one, because the game was so late, they're actually past a print deadline, which means they don't, they don't run in the paper. Um, and if, like if I'm going to a game at Westpac stadium and it's at seven o'clock, it will make the, the deadline and so I would, would have had no idea what I would have done because I had to just kind of put a few paragraphs together with more to come and then you kind of jump back in and rewrite it and keep going like that and that was really difficult I think match reports is like a there's definitely an art to it and that's probably something I'm still trying to um to learn or to and I probably need to improve a lot more because there's just so much to to get out there right and full time and with football, you know, one goal at the end of the game can just change things dramatically. There's definitely a skill to it. And, um, yeah, it's definitely something I probably need to improve a, a bit more on because I, I find it really challenging, to be honest. Yeah, because you're probably right because there can be, um, for instance, in, the local, in one of the local games I went to, um, it was a very tight game between Wellington United and North Wellington, right? And it's only 1-0 up until a, a second yellow card decision. And then three goals um, follow that decision. And it's four, four, four or five nil at the end. Not yeah. of, the whole st- of the whole game. But if you say that was a close game in your match report, it doesn't really kind of make sense because a five-goal win is a five-goal win. Yeah, and that, it's like, that's probably a big shift to what it was like, you know, what it's like now compared to what it was like when I was in Nelson. Like, because when I was working for a community paper, our paper would come out every week. So you would go to a game and I, the whole time I was in Nelson, I would take a camera with me. Um, and it was like a big part of my job is like, I really like getting photos, uh, like action shots. Um, and you would kind of, you know, you'd jot down the goal scorers and what was happening in the game. And you'd interview the play, like the coach or the captain afterwards. Then you'd go home and you'd start the story knowing everything that had happened. And you've got, a lot of time and it's real reaction based, like quote driven kind of stories. Um, and then even when I was at the Nelson mail covering 
So like a Nelson Suburbs mainland Premier League game, it was the same. You know the full-time score, you go home, then you write it, and then you know you would put it up that day. So there was a bit more, um, a little quicker turnaround. But then with the Phoenix games, like I used to, you know, when Liam Hislop was doing the match reports, I'd still take a camera along and I'd do the photos and that kind of thing. And then when it was up to me to do the match reports, like it was so, um, yeah, it was it was quite difficult when you go knowing, okay, as soon as the game's finished, I have to have 500 words here. Um, and, you know, you have to focus on the key parts of the game um, and then kind of explain, you know, I guess the goal's quite high up and um, and then kind of get a bit of a flow of the, of the game below it. Um, yeah, and so you kind of just have to be writing a story as you go, really. And if there's a goal and it changes, then you quickly change the intro and... Um, sometimes you've even got a couple of stories that you or a couple of draft stories that you're writing just in case different scenarios happen and then you delete one. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty wild ride. Um, that's for, for sure. I always found that interesting sitting in the press box um, while I was at the Phoenix and you'd have the minute by minute guys, you'd have the guys who were doing the full match reports and then the guys who were on social and just completely different mindsets between those three jobs. Yeah, and I like in the, the last five minutes in particular are really hard because that's like crunch time for trying to put your story together. So you've kind of got one eye on what's going on, but you know, you're like, because we have to, you know, when we're writing our stories, there's this big file where we've got to include all the photos, get the captions right. Um, and like, there's so many bits of like and pieces that you have to put in the story it's not just the words um and that can be really fiddly as well and if something changes really late you know someone might need to change the headline um and yeah so there's definitely a lot of the last kind of stages of the game and um yeah if you were just tweeting you know you're kind of just putting little things out as it kind of happens but once you've got the match report last wee bit yeah you've kind of got head down kind of writing trying to get the, the story finalized before full time that's really interesting to know. Um, before we move on to our fast five, which we'll do at the end of the game, just a couple of questions we're going to chuck at you, Phil. Let's just do a quick prediction on Wednesday night's game with the Knicks. We've got Wellington Phoenix going up against Brisbane Raw. What do you reckon, Connor? Mate, I'm going to go with my heart, um, and I'm going to go with the form of the Phoenix before COVID, so I'm going to say 2-1 Phoenix. And what about you, Phil? Yeah, I think the Phoenix will bounce back. They'll be probably really disappointed with their performance the other night. Um, and like, although Brisbane are only two points behind, I think man for man, the Phoenix have the better squad. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go Phoenix 2-0 um, to win. Yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty much the same, Phoenix 2-0 to win. But it's very much a hope. It's a hope that the wheels don't fall off. And uh, and I'm confident that they won't, but I'm not going to lie. I'll feel a little bit unnerved if this game doesn't go as I think it should. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So moving on to the fast five um, for everybody's a uh, little bit of background with Phil. He's a Mad City fan and a Mad Phoenix fan and a Tasman boy as well. So just a couple, uh, five quick questions: um, City or the Phoenix, Phil? Well, in terms of are they going to win a game, I think Man City would probably beat them. <laughs> um, I think, um, to be honest, like uh, it's probably an on-the-fence answer here. I guess being a journalist now, it's hard to really be a fan on the team. And I, I must say I probably watch a lot less 
um, Man City games than I probably used to as well because it's um, it's just on in the middle of the night and after a while, you know, you've watched enough football during the working week that you probably don't want to get up and watch a game. But um, I guess just being um, objective as well, you kind of... I probably can't really say I'm a Wellington Phoenix fan, although I was growing up. So, I, yeah, I guess I'd go Man City in that regard. But, um, yeah, I guess I'm probably on the fence with, with that one, to be honest. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Tasman or T- Team Wellington? Uh, yeah, Tasman. Tasman, for sure. Got to stick with it. Although, you know, as I mentioned to you guys before we started, rest in peace, Tasman, because... Um, yeah, that's probably the the end of the road for, for those well, guys. Well, I'll ask you that question now then. So who are you going to support now that Tasman have gone? Are you going to support Canterbury or are you going to support Team Wellington? Yeah, well, again, like it, it's hard as a journalist to really support a team. Like, um, I, Yeah, I probably can't really say I, I actually do support a team because when I go to a game, I... I don't really. I'm not really wanting either team to to win. I kind of. I, I really want the game to be as exciting as it possibly can be. So I've got a good mm. story to to write about. Um, yeah. But in terms of like yeah, teams to watch. Um, yeah, I always kind of like watching the like even the Phoenix reserves though. It's quite cool to watch like the up and coming guys um, from from their team as well. So um, yeah, I guess I, I'm not really giving some fast answers here regarding um, <laughs> regarding these support teams. But yeah, if I had to pick a team to go watch for the summer, um, yeah, we'll go the Phoenix Reserve. And uh, changing it back to the Premier League, Aguero or Sterling? Uh, Aguero all the way. Um, I think all all my man. I've got um, a Manchester City shirt, two Manchester City shirts, both with Aguero on the back, nice. um, and I even have, weirdly enough, signed. Aguero Argentina shirt that isn't on display and it probably should be (laughs) yeah it deserves to be on display how do you manage to get that I just I don't know when I when I was growing up I saw it on trade me and thought it'd be cool to to buy it and then I think now we've I probably wouldn't call myself a minimalist but we definitely have a lot less things at um at home so it's kind of just um probably in um the wardrobe alongside the rest of my clothes at the moment but um yeah. now would go for a lot of money I, I know but like to be honest i wish it was a man city shirt because um yeah, yeah it would be a lot cooler you know particularly after um you know the goal uh, if he got if it was from the season where he got the goal to, to win the league um yeah that would that would definitely be it but um as an and it's even it's slightly too big for me as well because i when Argentina was in the final of the World Cup, I um, I wore it and it looked like um, just like a big sheet off the bed. It was so massive on me because I'm not a very big person, as you guys know. Um, so yeah, that's the other the other problem as well is it's it's massive. But as a science shirt, it's probably probably a good thing that I don't wear it. <laughs> cool. And just to finish up quickly, we got Eiffel or Davila. Paul Eiffel all the way and um, Paul Paul Eiffel was also um, he went back and played for Tasman United as well and that was probably that was like you know the the glory days of Tasman United when um, they signed Paul Eiffel and he you know was just tearing up at Trafalgar Park and he even played centre back in one game and I remember this is a a slight log story here but I remember getting the tip off that he was going to play and the coach just said like you know you can't you can't spoil it for it. Like, and I was like, this is such a good story. But he's like, I'm, I'm not going to tell you on the record if you're not go- if you're going to run it. And um, I remember going over 
and um, sitting by Jose Figuera as um, the Tasman team went out and lined up and he was like, he's at centre back, what is going on here? Um, and, you know, he actually put in a pretty good shift as a defender, to be to be fair. But, um, yeah, that's probably the the start of the end for, for the coach, I think, at that point when he was playing Eiffel at centre-back. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and last one, uh, Pep or Klopp? Well, to be honest, I actually like I like Klopp better. I think he's funny. Hey, um, so I'll, it, I'll, get, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll <laughs> give you that. I'll give the Liverpool fans that one. Yeah, Klopp's such a character. I think Pep's... Um, yeah, he, he's not really, not really fun. Like, I guess as a journalist, you want someone who's very quotable, and um, Jurgen Klopp is definitely that. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks, Phil, for coming on board. Um, really appreciate um, having a bit of a chat. Um, and this is Mike and Connor from Total Football. We will see you guys next week. Cool. Thanks, guys. <laughs>